you've probably seen that I've been uh, experimenting and baking bread. Mm. Yes. Uh, I've been posting some pictures on Facebook and Instagram. My wife asked me, why did you start to bake bread? And the best answer I could come up with was, many years ago, I used to brew beer. Brewing beer and baking bread are very similar. So she just looks at me and she says, so why don't you just brew beer again? (laughs) It's a valid point, I guess. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. Welcome to episode 106 of Touchpoint. I'm Reed Smith. Over there is Chris Boyer. How's it going? Hello, Reed. Calling out hello from the frozen Arctic North here in Minnesota. Yeah, it has finally gotten cold enough here that I had to put on long pants. If it's any consolation, we shoveled twice today because of the snow. I mean, we've got a little bit of freezing water like dripping off the like downspouts and stuff like that. But that's about it. No, no shoveling necessary. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad uh, at least the uh, the snow and the ice and uh, all that hasn't affected your internet connection. And so here we are recording another episode. Real quick before we get into it, touchpoint.health is the website. Thanks for all the uh, feedback and reviews. January was the biggest month we've ever had as a network as far as listeners go. And so all the shows are doing great and uh, gaining new listeners each and every episode. And so we appreciate you that for that because that's an indication that uh, you're telling people about it. And that's uh, much appreciated. Yeah, we'd love it when you uh, share our show with other people and share our other shows with other people as well. Also, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn and as well as Twitter. Retweet us and repost our posts. And also let us know what other topics you'd like for us to talk about. Absolutely. We certainly appreciate it. We appreciate you supporting our sponsors. They Uh, make it possible for us to keep doing this. Before we get started, like to bring attention to one of those loyal. Managing your health system's brand online is difficult, but let's face it, healthcare is complicated. But our friends at Loyal get that. That's why they're dedicated to helping health systems simplify the complexities through smart consumer-first technology solutions designed to inspire loyalty. Whatever your business goals are, Loyal's conversation and data intelligent platform enables you to connect with your patients and guide them through their digital experience. By bringing together the voice of the customer and the voice of the health system, Loyal solutions make healthcare conversations more accessible, insightful, and, well, simple. And to schedule a demo, you can visit them online at loyalhealth.com slash demo. That's loyalhealth.com slash demo. And if you uh, are currently at Hims, I believe this episode actually comes out in the middle of Hims. If you haven't already, be sure to stop by their booth. It's booth number 4573. Say hello. Check out the products and all the new features of those products in person. If you miss them or you're not at Hims, loyalhealth.com slash demo. Let them know that we sent you. All right. What, uh, what are we talking about today? Reed, we're talking about something that is probably first and foremost, well, maybe not first and foremost, but pretty important to those of us that work in hospitals and health systems. When they're thinking about their digital strategy and thinking about their branding and everything else, the fact that a lot of times our brand, our health systems brand, our physicians brand, even our individual brands are not really controlled by digital channels that we control. There's all these other third-party websites that they're sharing information about us. Boy, don't I know it. (laughs) So for those that are not familiar, my name also happens to be one of the largest law firms in the world. And so if you go to reedsmith.com, that is a really, really large international law firm. And so it's been kind of a running joke. I don't know if joke's really the right word. But anyway, I have Reed Smith, the Twitter handle. I get as you would imagine, tagged in a fair of law-related tweets 
each and every week. Apparently, I sponsor a lot of luncheons and uh, networking events and things like that. I've been known to be very supportive of the London business community even. The reason I bring it up is because I control Reed Smith, the Twitter handle, and my LinkedIn profile. And But it's, gosh, nary a day at this point goes by that I do not get an email about uh, somebody wanting me to help with someone's law-related issue. Not only do they not know that I'm not a lawyer, they don't understand that Reed Smith, the law firm, is this gigantic international firm. They think it's Reed Smith, the lawyer. (laughs) I've even gotten phone calls with people asking if I handle (laughs) landlord-tenant disputes. That's a good example, right? Like Literally, if you look up my name and you find the Google listing... It actually shows me as a lawyer. That actually shows some of the complexities of having a brand that's out there that can be consumed by all of these websites and digital platforms and listing managements and everything else. It gets to be a really complicated data mess. And, you know, as much as we try to simplify data aggregation and list management and all of these other things, inevitably there's going to be these mistakes that always surface where they're matching the wrong type of information to a name. Even more so, your name sounds very similar to another name. I used to work at a health system that's no longer called this, but it was called North Shore Long Island Jewish. And we often got mistaken for North Shore Hospital, which was in Chicago. And you can see how that, obviously, there's a fair amount of towns in the United States, uh, the intercontinental United States that have the same name, Jackson, or even Dallas, So you you end up with like Jackson Regional Medical Center or whatever. Well, it's like, is that the one in Mississippi or is that the one in Jackson Hole or is that the one in Jackson, Tennessee or is that the one? You know what I mean? What are some of those common issues that are stumbling blocks? One being is like there's just inaccurate information. It's the wrong phone number. It's the wrong address. And we've talked about that on some some other shows. That's one that causes a real issue. Another one is that they're pulling in the data for something completely different. And they're basically pulling in the wrong photo. They're pulling in all the wrong bio information. And you had a problem with that recently, didn't you? Well, I've had a couple of different issues. One was we have one hospital. If you look at their Google listing, the the photograph is like uh, the leadership team at the hospital. Well, it got indexed via the website, right? It wasn't something that was natively inside of like the Google My Business listing that you could access and like delete the photo. Like it wasn't a profile image that was uploaded. Well, the leadership team has turned over. Like those people aren't there anymore. And so, of course, the new leadership team's like, take it down. And well, the source image, like if you click through, it doesn't exist anymore. It's not on the website anymore, but it's still indexed. And we're, we're trying to force, you know, Google to recrawl this site and, you know, hopefully get rid of that picture. But you're kind of, you know, hung out to dry. That's one of the issues we've had. We've had another one where, quote unquote, the main phone number for the hospital in a search engine listing. I can't remember if it's Google or Yahoo or Bing or whatever. Actually rang in the sleep lab. People were calling the hospital all weekend, as, as you would if, like, you know, there was a car wreck and you're trying to find your loved one, you know, one of those deals. And it's just ring, it's ringing. It's ringing. Nobody there. Uh, because a lot of these search engines or these listing sites pull from these data aggregation, or these data resources that sometimes are hard to track down of actually where the information is coming from. It's almost like playing whack-a-mole sometimes. I've had this case where you've actually gone out and you've been able, using a listing management service, to update that listing. And then 24 hours later, from a different disparate source somewhere, Google might overwrite it and write it back to the, the wrong old information. And that becomes a little bit challenging, too, if you think about it. And a common one for that is the hours of operation. Physician offices are notorious for being closed during lunch, or maybe they close it like noon or one on Friday or something like that. Inevitably, it always defaults back to like eight to five. And it's like they're, they're not open then. Or you do the, you know how it says in Google now that it's like, you know, it's open or it's closed. It says it currently closed or something like that. You have to have the hours of operations correct for obviously that to match up and, and populate for people's phones. And so those are just patient experience, consumerism type impactful pieces. Couple that with the complexity of either physicians changing locations like markets, like they move from El Paso, Texas to Salt Lake City. 
Now the new organization has to go find that health grades listing and find the Google, you know, and, and maybe that had previously been claimed by the other organization. And that's just a, that's a nightmare to try to get that listing moved or closed on one end and switched. We go after the same old suspects, Google and Facebook. Well, Facebook's actually a little bit easier to manage and claim. The Yelps and the health grades and things like that, that does become tough. But, you know, there's even reputable third-party websites, too, that have information about you that you have to be very cognizant about. Like, for example, insurance websites where they list all of your doctors and they list your locations. Better Business Bureau listings is another one, right? There's a lot of different places. U.S. News, Doximity, right? These are things that are considered sources of truth for other websites. And there's a couple of different ways that that happens. I kind of put it into three buckets. You've got the websites where you can claim the listing on said website, like a Yelp is a good example. Then you have data aggregation places that push information out. And you may or may not be able to claim those actual listings on the, you know, the endpoint. You have to find like where the source of the information is, like where's where is it coming from? Foursquare is one of those. Is that the one you became the mayor? That's right. Yeah. In the old day, you used to be the mayor. Uh-huh. Trying to clean that up, right, from the from the source standpoint. But then also there's the ones, and this is the ones that sometimes kind of get us, because if you think about all the mergers and acquisitions that happen, so think about Greenville Health System and Palmetto Health are now Prisma in South Carolina. And so having to change and update all that information, well, think about just like the Chamber of Commerce. Like you're in all these like business directories. They're on websites, but they're also uh, in print. And these organizations a lot of time are are well-meaning. And sometimes you'll see, like I can think of a good example here in Austin with St. David's Healthcare is South Austin Medical Center became St. David's South Austin Medical Center. And it was originally South Austin Hospital, then South Austin Medical Center, then St. David's South Austin Medical Center. Well, that's three different names that still exist out there in various forms. It's all the same place that you end up chasing this stuff all day across all of these directories. We actually did recently a a study of how people would find out about us in the Twin Cities area, find out about our health system. And what we found is that there are many different ways that they actually f- become aware of our of our services. Um, obviously, primary care physician and friends and family recommendations, kind of word of mouth stuff, plays pretty high role in those. But when you start to look at all the other different sources where you can get information, uh, what percentage of people do you think actually start learning about us by Googling us and finding our website? Probably like almost none. If it's a branded search, like they're already looking for us, probably more like 30, 40%, I would guess, maybe. We found out about 25% of people that start their Google search, either with a branded or non-branded search, actually find out about our website. They actually come to our website. It's a pretty good share of voice online. But do you know how many of those people actually go to their insurance website first? More than twice. Really? Because uh, you, we've seen all the studies, you know, Pew's done some through the years in, in different places where, you know, where do people go for information, you know, and it's never the hospital website. It's, you know, it's WebMD and other like, you know, health related type websites, patient communities, you know, things like that, right? When you think about all these different ways that people can actually start to find us, how do we, uh, working within a health system or helping health systems, what are some ways that we could start to look at these other web presences and and really try to shift and kind of mold those to make them support what we're trying to do in terms of giving people access to care and learn more about our brand? First and foremost, I think you have to have a single source of truth. And so if you think about just all the information that, that can exist about a brick and mortar location, like let's, let's not even take physicians, just brick and mortar locations, all those elements, you know, initially what comes to mind is, is like what's on the sign, right? Like the name of the location, the address, the phone number, maybe the hours. But then if you start thinking about what do they treat, like what specialties are there? And then, you know, you can start going down the line, even layering in physicians talking about board certified and specialties and, you know, hours of operations and days of the week and all these elements 
Yet we need some source of truth to start because it's really hard to get, gain any consistency across all of these listings if you're not prepared to update them with the same thing. No one has it all in one place. It's like, well, a little bit of it's in credentialing or, or the medical staff office. We've got a little bit in marketing and, and oh, some of our operations folks have some, and then the people that work with our payers or our large employers. And so anyway, it's just all in disparate places and we just, we need to have it all in one place. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered, and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. And it's not your website as a single source of truth, which I keep trying to explain to people. These sources of truth actually come from within the organization. The website is just the end output of that process where we're publishing those single sources of truth. A lot of people turn to our website as the source of truth. And not only us, not only we within the health system do that, our call center uses our website to search for information about our health system. I mean, I get it. It's easy. It's designed to be that way. But our website gets audited by third-party companies that regulate our information. That could potentially, if you're putting information out about these physicians or these locations accept this type of insurance and that's not reflective on your website, there could be some serious financial implications behind that. So, you know, it's it's really, it, it, for me, it beca- I become really worried when people start to say, well, your website's a single source of truth. It isn't. It's the end result of that. It should be an output of it. It should visually display what you have determined to be the single source of truth, right? But where is that information? Where does it reside? Who owns it? Who keeps it up to date? Those are all interesting pieces um, that we don't think about sometimes when when we talk about consumerism and, and certainly as we talk about reputation management. So let's talk about some of the channels and even the channel types that we should be worrying about. So you just mentioned two right there. The first is listing management. All those places that list your information, like in some kind of directory type of format. And that could be Google. The local chamber. Could be Yelp. Yeah, or any, any other like local websites, if you will. You know, there, there's, there are a dime a dozen now as far as like stuff popping up with just like listings of businesses in a town. Uh, yellowpages.com. Yeah, yellowpages, <laughs> yellowpages.com. <laughs> Does that still exist? I think it's yp.com now, right? Something like that. In, in, in not just brick and mortar stuff, but also the physicians, right? And so you have some physician specific ones like Doximity or a Sermo, you know, come more of like a closed community, if you will, but has all that information. Some of those organizations power other Search engines like U.S. News and World Reports, Physician Finder, and Vitals Health Grades, ZocDoc, Yelp, Facebook, Google, etc. It's just some of them extend past that to what we consider reputation management, or you know, they have reviews attached to them. So not all the listing services have reviews. Some of them do, but there are listing services out there that do not have reviews attached to them. Listings and reviews, I think, are the top two that we think of when we start to think about these third-party websites. But remember, the insurance websites are a listing site. They don't offer reviews. And quite often, we're not providing information to them that's coming through like managed care or other departments in our health system are kind of sharing that information. That's another example for having a single source of truth because other people within the organization need that information to pass along to their business partners. Okay, so listings, reviews. Let's talk a little bit about social media because that's another place where your brand is out there. And, and, and more than just the social media listings or the social media reviews that are out there, we're talking about actually actual accounts that carry your brand name. 
There used to be this adage of like a lot of social media is is pretty much a land grab. Like if a new social channel comes out, the advice I used to give is just go ahead and claim your your branded name listing there because it may turn into something or it may not, but at least you own that real estate. How do you feel about that? No, I like it. No, I, I think that makes total sense. I think it needs to be part of your strategy as far as like when we claim these things, what do we do? Not to get off on a whole separate tangent, but it's like, here's the profile image we're going to use. Here's the placeholder about us or bio that we're going to use if we're not active on this platform. It needs to explain that we're not active and here's where you can find us. So as long as you have like, here's how we're not going to participate, kind of rules of engagement. I do like that because you don't know where some of these things are going to go, like Snapchat or what, whatever the next latest, greatest thing is. Well, and one thing about social media that can potentially be much different than reviews and listings is that there's a potential for the audience to actually talk back to you through these channels. So if you're definitely going to go down this route, particularly, well, maybe not Snapchat so much, but on some of these other channels, if you have an account, you're not only claiming that land, right, as yours to say, this is my brand, this is where we sit, but now you want to make sure that gets pulled into your listening platforms so that if people are starting to talk about you on these channels, you can be aware of those and maybe even respond to them. How do you feel about um, claiming handles that are the negative connotation of your name as protection? You know, hospital sucks handle or whatever on Twitter just to keep somebody else from claiming it. It used to be way back when, like, you know, eight, nine years ago, that was more of a thing than what I see nowadays. And what I find is that if there are websites like that, they tend to not have a lot of Google juice, so to speak, and they don't carry high enough uh, ranking. That is until like some kind of viral thing occurs, or maybe there's like some catastrophic failure that your hospital or health system does. And then all of a sudden, everybody weighs in on it. I don't know. That's kind of been my experience. Do you have a different opinion on that? No, not really. I think probably at this point, you've got a realistic chance of getting that stuff taken down. If somebody is slandering your brand, so to speak, and plus you could probably spend all day trying to come up with all the variations on how somebody could disparage your brand in the form of a handle. (laughs) I'm just not sure that's a good use of time, I guess. Okay. Here's one we haven't talked about. I don't think since we've started this podcast, Reed. So in 106 episodes, Wikipedia what about Wikipedia? We yeah. reference it all the we, time. We use it every episode. <laughs> <laughs> but what about using it for our branding? That is one area that I don't think we spend a lot of time on. You know, that is an interesting one. And there are people out there that have a lot more of experience with Wikipedia just in, in life than, than I do, I guess, other than just reading the articles. But obviously, you could set that up and edit that, you know, to describe the brand and, you know, link to key services or information or or what have you, I guess. But people can go in and edit that. That's kind of the whole point of Wikipedia. Well, Wikipedia says that that you're discouraged from writing articles about yourself or your organization in which you hold a vested interest. However, if you feel that there is material within an existing article that is incorrect or not neutral in its tone, you should point this out on the article's talk page. That's interesting because I mean you know how people use it though, right? I mean I you know I've got a buddy that son is a kicker in the NFL uh, and he's a rookie this year and he he kicked a a big field goal for the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers last game of the year game winning field goal and you could go to his Wikipedia page that actually did not exist before that game and it talked about how he was the current mayor of Pittsburgh and you know and all this kind of stuff. You know, I mean that's just. <laughs> I mean, you know, it lasted for like seven hours, you know, or something before somebody changed it back to actually what it should be. But it's an interesting one, right? Because it does carry a fair amount of Google juice, you know, that wikipedia.com entry. It does. When you start to go down that path, because they track your IP address, they actually publish that on your, you know, on the Wikipedia site. They have an active group of editors that are avidly out there trying to ensure that the information is correct. It becomes very difficult for you yourself to manage your own brand, but you kind of want to have like that, that the father of the son who's the kicker, 
to be out there editing on your behalf. Like in that case, like that's fine. Oh, that's, that's cool. You know, we'll, we'll leave it for, you know, somebody will change it back here pretty quick, you know, whatever it, but that obviously can very much go south for a brand as well, I would assume. But we've hit on this a couple of times before. What about hospital compare Mm. CMS? Yeah. Government website. Does anybody go there? (laughs) No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure they do. But I mean, you would certainly hope they have the right information. And here, here's the interesting one about hospital compare, right? Is that you have hospitals that to the community are branded a certain way, uh, even are a certain building and there they are right there in town. But on paper, they're licensed as part of another facility across town or something like that. So sometimes they don't even come up in some of these listings, like they're not listed that becomes a really interesting dynamic just as you start thinking about people looking for our organization on these transparency-based initiative sites and comparative sites and things like that. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head, though, there is that it, it this is like a single source of truth. Medicare.gov or CMS.gov or wherever, right? These websites are actually what a lot of these other third-party websites use As a data point, we have one hospital that's split in two locations. One is on the east bank of the Mississippi River. One's on the west bank of the Mississippi River. Yet, while there's two physical addresses, there's only one provider ID. And Medicare.gov, CMS.gov only considers it one location. You see that a lot with like even specialty hospitals, like surgical hospitals, heart hospitals, orthopedic or women's hospitals, things like that, because they're typically not from a licensure perspective out on their own. You know, they're usually uh, part of the license of whatever the big you know medical center is downtown that's part of the same system. You know, they're usually licensed underneath that. So it's like you can't find them on some of these sites and you probably never will. And even with some of the rebranding efforts, a lot of times that just ends up being a DBA. And so the actual legal name, which was the original name, is still the one that shows on some of these sites. It says actually that if you're interested in updating your hospital's data, name, address, phone number, if any of that's incorrect, um, or it's listed as a PO box or whatever, on Medicare.gov, they say what you need to do is you need to contact your state survey agency. <laughs> to get this information (laughs) updated. And then they have a link to all the state survey people, which is a listing of, I I kid you not, about 200 names. Oh, good. There's like people's names related to at alaska.gov or at texas.gov. No, I bet that's just a super simple process. (laughs) And you have to send them an email and, and inevitably they'll probably have some kind of form that you need to fill out, et cetera. But while this is a single source of truth, it's very, very difficult for you to update that information. This is impacting like quality reports. It impacts the comparative uh, data that's out there and even pricing transparency. They're getting into the pricing transparency game. And that opens up the whole world too of like all the state directories. Yeah. I mean, it just layers through the organization, much like some of even the responsibilities or roles within the organization's uh, lines are blurring. You know, like we've talked about marketing to quality, quality to IT, et cetera. A lot of this information because of the digital space is becoming a lot harder to discern, like where does it come from and who owns the data and like who should be responsible for updating it and things like that. So what other third-party websites do you think might be important as a channel to consider. The only one I can really think about, Reed, is like media outlets, people that publish news about you. You want to make sure that they have the most recent information about you. And that's more than just putting your, you know, making sure your press releases have the right information in it. But this is about when you're actually communicating with them. Maybe they're doing a, re- a story about you that you're very clear and very specific about the name of your organization. I have seen some media reports where the reporter is standing right outside the hospital, the, the logo's on the outside of the hospital, and they're referring to it as a completely different facility because that's what they know, right? They were never prompted, this is the right name, even though it's on the logo behind them, they're getting it wrong. 
And you see a lot of this, especially in like growing markets and stuff like that, because you do have the legacy or the historical kind of influence in a lot of cases. I mean, I at our church, I, I head up and, and kind of coordinate the hospital visitation group so that there's some folks in the church that visit church members uh, who happen to be in the hospital. And they're kind of on call on rotation a week at a time. And when I took this group over, I actually put together a document of like, here's all the hospitals, their names, addresses, phone numbers, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because it was really interesting because uh, it is such a growing area here in Central Texas that some might say, she's down there in the in the Round Rock Hospital. And I'd be like, well, there's three of them. Well, but, you know, the one, the Round Rock one. Well, no, I know there's three <laughs> hospitals in Round Rock. And they're like, there is, you know. And they're like, well, I mean, it's, it's the one right there on 620, you know, it's like, well, there's two of them on 620, you know, so it's just people don't realize and, and they just think about it the way they've historically thought about it. And so it goes for, you know, media or physicians or just the general consumer or whoever. Are there any other third party sites that you can think about? I would say potentially uh, like other nonprofits within the community. Uh, sometimes those are health related or they have a health component to their nonprofit. And so they have resources on their website and links and things like that. Um, that would be important to, to understand potentially other community based events. If you've sponsored the 5K or you've like here in Austin, we have South by Southwest and ACL and like these different festivals and things like that. If you've been the medical provider for those types of things, making sure that, you know, they have the right information on their sites. Again, just, just, you know, uh, names, links, you know, that type of stuff. Now we're kind of painting a very complex picture here, Reed, because it frankly is complex. That doesn't mean that your website's not important, right? I mean, your website still holds weight. And in many times, if you do it right, your website can become maybe not the single source of truth or authority for some of the, the backend listings and directories, but really for Google's perspective, it can position itself much higher in the search results when people start searching for you if done right. Yeah, I mean, it'll bolster all that. If your website matches up with what's online, then it creates that authority. Here's home base for this organization. So if somebody's Googling, especially branded terms, it'll really bolster you know your website. That's also why we're seeing trends of people putting more information in that makes it seem more like a review management site. They're publishing the reviews from Prescani and NRC on their websites, or they're trying to aggregate social content to and from their website, which makes it more part of the social community. And they're trying to really socialize elements of their site. Website is super important. I mean, you have to have one. Obviously, people are going to end up there eventually. It may not be where they start. And then some of it depends on the usability and you know, the functionality available to them on the website that then, you know, if they can find you and you have scheduling and portals and all these things that we've talked about, bill pay, et cetera, you know, people will go and it'll become sticky enough that they'll, they'll continue to come back. Listings, reputation management, all this stuff starts kind of dovetailing together as it relates to just this overall theme of consumerism and what people expect from you online. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, you know, they've got a consumer experience platform that, that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would, I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else, they've also got some complimentary solutions on their website, but, but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems, kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com.
All right, welcome back to the Ask the Experts section of our podcast. And today I am talking with someone that I just recently met, but the few conversations that we had have been really, really interesting. And that's Andre Zimeles. Andre, welcome to the show today. Yeah, excited to be here, Chris. Thank you so much. Before we get started, it might be good for people who don't know you. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, I'm CEO of a company called Doctor.com. You know, my personal background is in digital technology. I've been doing this for, and I'm going to sound old saying this, for more than 15 years. I've been in healthcare for about half of that time, digital health specifically. Uh, and I was in the online ad business before that. So I'm probably a, a product guy at heart, but I have uh, uh, a lot of admiration for the sales and, and revenue side of the business and the, the rush that comes with with closing a sale and, and getting out into the front lines and interacting with customers. And so it's it's been a really exciting opportunity for me at Doctor.com as we built this business to kind of do a little bit of all that as CEO. Well, tell us a little bit about what Doctor.com does. We're fundamentally uh, a platform that helps people discover, connect with, and interact with doctors across kind of any digital experience. And so uh, our customers are hospitals and health systems, private practices, uh, more recently, even some pharma brands and some payers. And what our business is, is basically providing a series of web services as well as complete products that enable experiences like online booking, monitoring, and active sort of management of physician reputations, physician data. We built this really incredible network of partners throughout the digital health ecosystem. Uh, we work very closely with, uh, on sort of the local business side, the Googles and Yelps and Yellow Pages of the world, and within the healthcare world, the health grades and vitals and wellness.com, and pretty much all of the important entry points that a consumer who is just going to a search engine to look for care uh, may come across. And our platform is connected to all of these places. Whenever we're working with a customer, we kind of bring to bear this single point of entry to all these different places where uh, it's important to have data be maintained and to have a strong presence. In one of our previous episodes, we were talking about the digital front door and how consumers can start to many times begin their search for care through Google and through search engines. And they're, they come across many different sites that are out there. Doctor.com just recently released a study uh, about customer experience trends in healthcare. It was honestly it's one of these things that we sort of did out of interest and with a desire to validate a lot of assumptions and a lot of things that anecdotally we'd observed from our interactions with clients and our studies of some of the data that we have access to. But it, it sort of exceeded our expectations in telling a story that very much supported the trends that we've observed affecting the industry. And I'm glad you mentioned your the episode you had about the digital front door because I, I listened to a lot of that and I thought it was very fascinating in the discussion to um, you know, hear you sort of defining you know, what, what is really the digital front door and what are people thinking of when they say that. And I think um, a lot of what was focused on is you know, the hospital's website and maybe now it's the patient portal or social media pages. A lot of the conventional thinking around you know this digital front door is it's it's these owned and operated properties that we can control and maintain as a as a health system what we've found and is validated by our survey is that absolutely those things are very important and can't be neglected um, but as important are all the other touch points which sometimes are actually you know sort of third party real estate it's not just sort of a house with a front door it's kind of like a a shopping mall with a lot of different shops that have their own doors. It's really important for the strategy that gets adopted to have an awareness of that and to make sure that even on online properties that we may not have direct control over as a hospital or a health system to still have a strategy for taking advantage of them because that's also where people are going. For people like myself that run digital marketing in a hospital, it's so hard to to keep track of that. It's almost like playing whack-a-mole every day. Something new pops up on the internet. It's not just kind of, uh, you know, the first touch or the last touch. It's sort of like online marketing as a whole, right? As it's become more sophisticated and moved from kind of just measuring last touch attribution to first touch and last touch. And now with these very sophisticated systems that are out there, 
you know, we're, we're tracking a user journey through every touch point, right? Someone reads a white paper, then they, you know, like a post on social media, then they visit a website, then they open an email campaign, and then they finally ask for a demo. How do you weight and value all those different moments that led up to an interaction? Whether it's a closed sale or a person making an appointment, it's really now dawning in the healthcare vertical that it's important to have an awareness of that whole journey and of all those touch points along the way. What we set out to do with this survey was how do people explain and express to us in the form of answering survey questions how they think about what they're doing? We're definitely going to put a link to that so people can download the report. But what, what are the, some of the things that you found out? Sure. So a lot of the questions are really around, you know, what are people doing when they're setting out to find care? And not just what are they doing, but what are the determinants of the choices they make? And so if I had to distill down to maybe the the single one statistic that emerged that resonated the most with me, that is kind of the most profound endorsement of the need for this whole conversation we're having and for all the technology sprouted up around this, it's that 81% of people, when they get referred to a provider will go online and read reviews about that doctor after they get that referral. Sometimes it's just someone wants to get the address or the phone number of you know, that doctor, and it's not necessarily you know, a big research journey. But if you look at the data, a lot of the reason for why people are now going online to do that is just we're trained from every other aspect of life that when you get a recommendation, it just takes a few minutes to get a lot of very valuable crowdsourced information. Someone recommends a hotel or a television set or a restaurant, you know, chances are you might go type that into Yelp or into Amazon or or whatever you're looking at because at your fingertips are the aggregate opinions of hundreds of people, plus maybe professional opinions, plus a whole bunch of facts and figures and, and information about that place or that experience, and why not get empowered with that? So that's happening in healthcare. One side of me says that's really surprising. The other side of me is like, well, gosh, I do that with everything else. And I never really th- placed it into like my decision for care. And just recently, you know, I made a decision on a specialist. And I was talking to the person at the call center of the hospital. She mentioned the doctor's name. And while we're talking about setting up the appointment, I'm Googling that doctor looking up what the reviews are. We're turning to Google as a, like our second opinion, so to speak. Some of the fascinating stats that we observed, and this is actually so much so that we, we called it out specifically uh, in the survey, is that um, you know, 76% of people over 60 have used the internet to make a healthcare-related search in the past year. Of those who are doing that, 90% of that over 60 said they will occasionally, frequently, or always change their mind about seeing a referred healthcare provider if they have less than a three-star online rating. That has a significant impact on how we think about referral patterns, how we think about shifting the way the consumers and the doctors are referring to our specialists, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And that's, a, that's actually a fascinating lens to put on it. When you have some of these conversations, you know, you'll hear terms like referral leakage or network leakage. And something that's really interesting is when a hospital's or department within one is making a referral from a patient from you know one area to another. You know, there's a lot of thinking around making sure that, that person stays you know within network, especially as you know bundled payments. That there's you know if it's like let's say it's orthopedics, you want to make sure the person's going to their physical therapy. And a lot of hospitals have brought the physical therapy in house and brought you know other services in house to sort of have that whole continuum be owned by one group. And one of the risk factors to someone falling out of that continuum is exactly this paradigm, right? It's someone, you know, they say, all right, well, you know, we're going to go ahead and get you set up with this physical therapist who's one of the groups that we own and operate that's around the corner from you. And, and if that person goes and, you know, punches that into Google, maybe they say, sure, yeah, that sounds good. And they punch that into Google just to get the phone number. A couple of things could happen. One Half, to, half of the information, whether it's the phone number or the address, could just be wrong because that's a pain point in and of itself, and that's a whole other topic. Let's just say that shows up with two stars on Google and then a little star is next to the health grades link that's showing in the search results and the vitals link that shows in the search results and the Yelp link are all like two stars and one star. But 
right down below, Google's saying, here are five other places nearby, and they're all you know five stars with 100 reviews. I don't know about you, but me as a consumer, I'm going to say, well, whoa, wait a second. I know that you know the hospital thinks I should go here, but this place is two blocks closer to my house, and people sure seem to like it a whole lot more. So you know, maybe I should call them up, and if they take my insurance, maybe I should go there instead. This stuff isn't just important because of optics or sort of the, the reputational element. There actually is a, a downstream effect when it comes to making sure that patients kind of stay on that continuum that you want them to be on. It's almost like serendipitous. They're looking for a phone number and their whole perception could be changed just by that mere star rating. Uh, 74% of people say that they will choose one provider over another when searching for healthcare online, specifically because of negative reviews. We kind of pulled that layer of the onion back one one step further, and it was 53% said that they'll occasionally, frequently, or always change their mind about someone who has a rating less than three stars. So that under three star threshold seems to be one of those important tipping points. If you're four stars, 4.2 stars in terms of you know how a physician or a facility is showing up, like I don't think that's so bad. It's almost, you know, in some ways it's it's almost to be expected, right? I, I almost think something suspicious if it's like 2,000 reviews and perfect five star average, because like no one's perfect, nothing's perfect. But there's something about if you fall below that three star, three and a half star threshold, there's there's a real drop off in terms of people's comfort level that this is going to be a good experience. If you only have a couple of reviews out there and you get one bad one, you can go quickly from a four star to a two star without you know thinking about it. And it could happen just right away. But that's a tricky thing to kind of manage. One of the things that we'll do when we're in conversations with folks that we're talking to, we'll kind of do a scorecard that assesses reputational vulnerability. And one aspect of that, you nailed it, right? You look at the quantity, recency, and sentiment of their reviews, but a big factor is just the quantity. Because if you have, if you're five stars, but you have one review, well, you're one happy person away from being two and a half stars, right? And so there is this baseline defensibility that you want to have around not being vulnerable to, you know, maybe one person who, you know, who just is having a bad day. And, and that's actually an interesting point. And one thing that we've noticed around negative reviews of physicians or of facilities is that more of them are actually about things that are non-clinical in nature than they are about the specific clinical outcome. It's Things like wait time, the attitude and demeanor of staff, the difficulty of getting an appointment or things being rescheduled at the last minute. Um, we've even had some say that you know it, it, the environment wasn't clean or didn't feel fresh. Right? So it, it, it's very interesting to look at all the different things that can trigger a person to leave a you know a great review or a negative review. To move the needle there, it has to be a holistic initiative. It, it, I think a lot of clinicians in particular, you know, really feel like, look, if, if I'm a great clinician and I'm healing people and, you know, having successful outcomes overwhelmingly, then, you know, it should just take care of itself. And certainly sometimes that's the case. And you'll just see a, you know, very strong, well-deserved positive replica, uh, reputation, which reflects that that person's a phenomenal clinician who's gotten phenomenal outcomes. But you often see very skilled, excellent clinicians have lousy online reputations because maybe their their staff is not customer centric enough, or maybe they're in kind of an aging facility that isn't well designed, and people get lost on their way to the office, things like that. I think the impact on consumer behavior, in some degree, correlates to the nature of their concern and the severity of it. And if you need life saving brain surgery, you may be fine ignoring that there's long wait time and rude staff at the office because you're not going to mess around when it comes to getting someone who's, you know, renowned to be a, a foremost surgeon. But, you know, let's just say that, you know, you have a rash and you're kind of concerned and you want to go in for a dermatology visit. You know, you have a cornucopia, at least, you know, we're in New York City, so we have a cornucopia of options, right? We have so many different hospitals and private practices and, and urgent care and everything. Well, if it's something like that, I'm absolutely going to say, well, look, maybe, you know, I'm not going to want to wait too long or deal with 
you know, uh, unpleasant experience getting the appointment made or whatever. There, there's enough options. I can get someone who's more than capable to take a quick look at my knee or tell me what this rash is. Uh, there's a lot of places I can go, and that's going to be a big factor. So what that all tells me is that level one of, of reputation management, if you will, is just, okay, you have a, you have a general sense of the, the star ratings across different departments and different positions and, and all that. Level two is getting into the stuff that we're talking about and is truly understanding what is the impact on this type of patient seeking this type of care and what is the story within the data. We talk a lot about the stars, but what's actually more important in many ways when you're really trying to understand this stuff from the standpoint of, of someone working in a hospital making sense of this, it's the comments that people leave and the stories that they tell and being able to kind of process that in mass and derive insights from it. The star ratings may be what catches your eye, but then you go down and you read, wait, why are they a two star? And then you start getting into the comments and there you go. Getting a little bit back to the digital front door discussion, some things that were talked about there and and what people are thinking about. uh, I think the big takeaway for me is that it's sort of all of the above in terms of what's important. It's first party things that you can control and third party And I think it's acknowledging that the patient journey is increasingly either starting online or quickly going online. You want to make sure that within the the real estate that you can directly control, you know, your own owned and operated properties, your website, et cetera, there's a lot you can do, right? And this gets into like transparency initiatives and everyone's sitting on troves of CAPS data. And there's a lot of services and including, you know, some that we offer and including some that, that others offer that will help you. Um, take that raw caps data and turn that into sort of consumerized uh, ratings and, and comment data that you can proactively use within your own website to you know have that transparency and also to provide a channel that that you know, you're controlling where people can get this kind of information when they're searching and so you know it's, it's a way to have a little more control over that conversation that's happening at the same time, you can do everything right on your own website and on your own properties, but chances are if I'm Googling the name of one of your doctors, somewhere in the top five results is going to be health grades. It's going to be Yelp. There are going to be properties that you may not have direct control over, and those can't be ignored. Because I, it, one other thing we've observed when we look at the actual data is people make a bunch of stops. People are comparison shopping. They'll go to go look at a profile on health grades, then they'll go read about the hospital itself on Yelp, then they may go spend some time on the hospital's website. And we have a little bit of an unprecedented view of this because we power a couple hundred find a doctors for hospitals, meaning the actual provider directories, and we have visibility into the whole third-party ecosystem. So we can actually see when someone is going to two or three different third-party sites, then going to the hospital's directory and then bouncing back somewhere else and like making an online appointment there or making a phone call from there. So people are bouncing around a lot and it's all important. And that's probably the most important takeaway that I would say to a marketer is, you know, ignore any one of these verticals at your peril and understand that you never know where in that journey, that sort of magic moment for the patient uh, is going to click where they say, you know what, this is where I want to go. And the more you can extend it across as, as many touch points as possible, as many sort of consumer entry points as possible, as more as you can extend the ability to make an appointment or to easily find a phone number or to take action, the better. Because people, they're on phones, they're trained for instant gratification, you want to be right there and ready to go when in that person's brain they say, you know what, this looks like who I want to see. That's a great conversation. I knew it would be, Andre. I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts. And we definitely are going to link to your report on your website on doctor.com. Um, and people can get that for free, as you said. If people that are listening in want to learn a little bit more about you and, and your company, what's the best way for them to find you online? Our domain name is pretty, uh, pretty hard to forget. It's at doctor.com, D-O-C-T-O-R.com, in case there was any confusion about that. There's good overview there. There's actually a pretty interesting feature right there on the site uh, where you can run a scan of a single physician as sort of a sample. Um, so if anyone's kind of curious about a lot of these things and want to get sort of a, a preview of 
of how all these factors that the survey talks about may be hitting home for them. Like take, you know, take some prominent physician and run a scan of them and see what comes back. And then we have sort of a, a, a version of that on steroids that can look at that across many physicians with a much larger level of detail for folks who, who are interested in kind of digging several layers deeper. And that's something we're always happy to share in a conversation. Well, for those of you listening in that are driving or your hands are busy, just check our show notes. We'll link to it there and you can jump on over to their site. Andre, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. And, and thank you, Chris. I, I love what you're doing here. And, and thanks for putting out just such awesome content that's fascinating for folks like me. And uh, I'll, I'll continue to tune in and I uh, look forward to speaking again. Okay, Reed, wrapping up the show here, we want to thank Andre from doctor.com. Be sure to go out there and download that white paper as well and learn a little bit more about how other websites are actually impacting the patient journey as they're searching for care. It's always great to have smart folks on uh, that can bring some uh, insight or a, or a perspective that, that you and I don't have. So it's always uh Always cool. And uh, of course, we get a lot of those interviews at, uh, at different conferences we go to, and we'll have some of those coming up. Currently, as you're listening to this, well, maybe as you're listening to this, potentially as you're listening to this, you're at HIMSS, uh, which is going on right now. And so shout out to everybody down there. Uh, we're not there, obviously. We're here currently recording this episode, but, uh, you never know. You never know. We may be there next year. Of course, um, you know, those that are listening, I think would find data point, uh, with Greg Matthews, one of our show on data and analytics, innovation, that kind of thing. Something that's pretty interesting. We encourage you to, uh, to check out the, uh, the site over touchpoint.health. There's uh, lots of great content there. What other things are we going to be doing in the future? So I will be at the Texas Hospital Association annual conference here in a couple of weeks, or actually about a week. I'll be there the 20th through the 22nd. So the conference is the 21st and 22nd. And so that's always a good time seeing people from around the state of Texas. I get to hear some of the legislative and advocacy updates, uh, especially as it relates, not just state level, but also some federal stuff as well. And so that'll be good. We've got South by Southwest coming up a couple of weeks into March. At the end of May, we're going to be in Chicago at the Healthcare Marketing Physician Strategy Summit. So looking forward to that as well. That's always a good one. There may be some other things if, if you're interested in, and not just Chris or I, but any of the show hosts or any of the shows being live and on site at your conference or at a conference, uh, point those out to us. Love to have that conversation. Rate, review, subscribe wherever you get the show. That's certainly the best way that uh, we can make sure other people find it. Before we get out of here, maybe a couple of recommendations. Yeah, Reed, I'm going to recommend a TV show that I am currently watching. It's on HBO. It's called True Detective. You heard about the show? I have, yeah. I, the first season certainly was very good. The second one was, I still enjoyed it. It, it did not perform well critically. It was not critically acclaimed, I guess. The third season is really, really good. It's not as good as the first, obviously, but this one just started in January. I think there's now like five or six episodes of the show. It's a very gritty detective show. The storyline takes place in the in three different snapshots in time. One when the actual case occurred, one 10 to 15 years later, and then one another 10 to 15 years later. And the same actors play the detectives over that this long span of time. Uh, and it's just amazing. The main guy, Mahershala Ali, he's the lead role of the detective. He is just amazing. Also, Stephen Dorff is in the show. Uh, I'm going to tell you, if you're a fan of the of True Detective or any kind of like kind of gritty detective shows, this is definitely one to watch. It's very much uh, on the edge of your seat. Of course, it's HBO. They always tend to do some really edgy stuff. But I think that this surpasses uh, season two by far. Definitely worth watching. That's a good one. I'll have to check it out. I am going to recommend a comedian, a guy named John Crist, C-R-I-S-T. And uh, he's hilarious. I've seen him for some years now. He's, he started making a lot of 
Oh, little short like Facebook, YouTube videos, just spoofing things, especially from the Christian culture. And he's he's absolutely hilarious. But he's done some really, really funny stuff. You can go check out like his YouTube channel or something like that and just sort it by his most popular ones. But for those that may have seen him, it's probably one of his most popular ones was uh, like being at Disney World. It's like parents at Disney World. Really funny. And he's done some really funny ones that look like for the post-game press conference that they do with coaches with the little ticker at the bottom and on the side, but it's like the guy that hosted the Super Bowl party or it's the pastor after a a Sunday morning. And it's anyway, it's really, really funny. It's probably funny because it's true in in most of his cases. That's what really (laughs) kind of resonates with a lot of it. He's pretty prolific on Instagram as far as stories and things like that. And matter of fact, it goes well with today's episode. He actually did a a video where he read through uh, reviews of churches (laughs) <laughs> under the guise of like, why would you do that? So go find that one. That one's a really funny one too. If you uh, if you're interested in reviews that people actually write on churches, that's hilarious. Another good episode. Uh, another one in the books, and uh, excited to uh, kind of get spring in full gear. Start seeing some people at some of these conferences is always a good time. Again, if you've got any feedback for us, track us down online, LinkedIn, Twitter through the website obviously is an easy way as well we certainly appreciate the support we can't thank you enough for uh, all the advocacy go out there and uh, write a review uh, for one of our shows we'd appreciate it so for chris boyer i'm reed smith and we'll see you next week this has been a touchpoint media production to learn more about this show and others like it please visit us online at touchpoint.health